Hey everyone, Cody here. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has listened, shared, emailed, rated, complained, anything during our first season. I also want to let you know that Troy and I will be back on January 9th, 2018 with season two of American Hauntings Podcast, where we will explore sites in St. Louis, Missouri, such as the Limp Mansion and the Exorcist House. If you have any ideas for locations, please email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, and I hope you enjoy the season one finale of American Hauntings Podcast. James McKinney was a worried man. As he stepped into the back door of his church on that cold, gloomy November day in 1934, he should have had a warm, comfortable feeling, but instead, he was overcome with dread. He had been all over Alton searching for the church's pastor who had been missing for two days. This was the last place he needed to look, and he was terrified about what he might find there. As he walked down the corridor ahead of him, he caught a glimpse of a figure in a doorway ahead, but something was wrong. He could see a man's shoes, but they weren't touching the floor. They were hanging, suspended in the air. As he walked closer, he faced the unimaginable, and James McKinney fled the building. The strangest chapter in the history of the church had begun. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season, of which this is the final extended episode, explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. Why would a church be haunted? It seems a strange place to have ghosts, unless you consider the idea that the entire range of human emotions from sadness to joy is expressed inside of a church. Perhaps leaving a bit of that energy behind is a beacon for restless spirits. There's also those spirits of priests, ministers, and parishioners who stay behind, perhaps in hopes of continuing their good works. Churches are places of happiness, sadness, and sometimes even tragedy like the one that occurred at the First Unitarian Church in Alton in 1934. It was a tragedy that left an indelible presence behind. The First Unitarian Society was started in Alton in 1836 by Dr. William Emerson, Alton's first physician. Private meetings were held in Dr. Emerson's office and conducted by William Greenleaf Elliott, grandfather of future poet T.S. Elliott and founder of the Elliott Seminary in St. Louis, which later became Washington University. The Unitarian faith held great appeal to the free thinkers of the time, like Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, and others. It was based on the freedom of its members to believe whatever they wanted about religion, faith, God, and never stressed any particular creed and allowed individuals to worship however they liked. Basically, the Unitarians believed, and still believed, 
and the worth and dignity of every person, compassion in human relations, the acceptance of all people, and a free search for truth and meaning and the basic goodness of the human soul. That was a pretty radical set of ideas in the 1830s and 1840s, and in Alton it could be a pretty dangerous place for freethinkers in those days. The first minister of the church was friends with another freethinker at the time, Elijah P. Lovejoy, and after the abolitionist was murdered on the Alton Riverfront in 1837, the good reverend packed his bags and went back to New England, which was home to all the freethinkers, philosophers, poets, and abolitionists of the day. But that was not the end of the Unitarians in Alton, any more than it was the end of the abolitionists and, by extension, the Underground Railroad. The Unitarian Society's first church in town had a connection to the Underground Railroad, even though it was St. Matthew's Catholic Church at the time. Before 1854, the Unitarians had been meeting in private homes, but later that year, they purchased the land where St. Matthew's had been located. The church had been gutted by fire, and rather than rebuild, a new cathedral was constructed along State Street. The land and the ruins of the church were sold to the Unitarian Society. They built a new church on the remaining foundation of the original building. Its stone walls and a small room that was used as a hiding place for escaped slaves are still visible in the church basement today. Shortly after the new Unitarian Church was constructed and the new Catholic Church was completed on a hill on the other side of town, locals provided the two areas with nicknames that are still used sometimes today. The Catholics had a new home on Christian Hill, while the Unitarians could now be found on Heathen Hill. The church grew throughout the rest of the 19th century. The church was destroyed by fire in 1905, but was quickly rebuilt. It has remained on the same site at 3rd and Albee Streets in Alton since that time, providing a continuing haven for freethinkers and the faithful. Over the years, the church has had its share of memorable pastors. There have been poets, philosophers, social reformers, and more. But there was one minister who left a greater mark on the church than any other. Not necessarily for his kind words and good deeds, but for the mystery he left in his wake. That's not to say that Philip Mercer was not a thoughtful and caring man he was, but he left a lasting impression behind because Philip Mercer has simply never left the place, even though he died in 1934. Philip Mercer was born on May 6, 1886, in Kensington, England. At the age of 18, he came to the United States. By the time of his death, he had been in this country for 30 years, and yet he never lost his accent or proper manner. He still took tea in the afternoons, and he ordered his suits by mail from Great Britain. Those who spoke of him after his death revealed that they never really knew him well. He had a very strict sense of propriety, and he rarely ever spoke about himself. People liked him very much, however. He was friendly, caring, well-mannered, and loved to chat over the newspaper each morning when he took his breakfast, but he was a bit of a worrier when it came to his health. Before he came to Alton, Philip lived in St. Louis, where he worked for the railroad. He spent most of his free time at the library or in bookshops. He was an avid reader, and books were always the most important personal items that he owned. At some point while working in St. Louis, he experienced a sort of religious awakening and moved to Chicago to enroll in the seminary. He graduated in 1918 and was ordained as a minister in the Congregational Church. After postings in small towns in Minnesota and the Dakotas, he took a position as the pastor at the First Unitarian Church in Alton in 1928. 
He would call his time in Alton the happiest years he had ever known, right up until the time he committed suicide during the early morning hours of November 20th, 1934. The circumstances of his suicide remain a mystery to this day. Philip's body was discovered by his friend and church member James McKinney, from whom the minister had been renting a room for the past five years. McKinney had become concerned about Philip after the minister failed to return home after a trip across the river to St. Louis. The minister often attended plays and musicals in the city, and if a show ran late, he might stay the night in a hotel. McKinney assumed this had been the case when Philip didn't return on Monday evening. When he'd still not been seen by Tuesday afternoon, McKinney became worried. He made some telephone calls, but no one had seen him. He even called the St. Louis Hotel where Philip usually stayed in the city, but he'd never checked in. On Tuesday, McKinney left his home on 4th Street and began visiting the Alton shops and restaurants that Philip frequented. He had telephoned the church several times that morning, but the calls had gone unanswered. That afternoon, he decided to go to the church and see if anyone was there. His newest worry was that Philip had, may have had an accident or had fallen while working in his office and could not reach the telephone. McKinney walked to the church and saw a light burning at Philip's office in back. He hurried to the door at the west rear of the building, opened it, and went inside. As he made his way down the shadowy corridor that extended behind the church auditorium, he made a grisly discovery. Philip Mercer hanging from a window transom with a rope around his neck. His face was purple and swollen. He'd been hanging there for some time, likely since Monday afternoon. He had apparently never gone to St. Louis at all. McKinney fled from the church. He ran across the street to the Alton Police Station and informed Desk Sergeant Scott of Philip's death. A patrolman named Waller was ordered to accompany McKinney back to the church. When they arrived, McKinney had to identify the body. It was definitely Philip Mercer. The police contacted the coroner and McKinney began making calls to church trustees to inform them of the situation. An investigation was started into Philip's last days, but it would never get far. When the police searched Philip's office, they discovered two packages, one containing rough hemp rope and an empty one that had contained a curtain sash. Both had recently been purchased from a hardware store. Philip had used the sash to hang himself from the transom. The desk in the minister's office was littered with papers and many of them had spilled off onto the floor. Someone, Philip, or who knows, maybe someone else, may have been searching for something on the desk. Nothing seemed to be missing, but no one can say for sure. There was no note to explain Philip's apparent suicide. Philip's body was removed to the Clunk Funeral Home where the inquest was held, determining suicide, followed by funeral services. His body was then placed in the Grandview Mausoleum to await instructions from his family in England, but no instructions ever came. His body was never moved from the mausoleum. Who his family was? What happened to them and why his body was never claimed remains just another series of mysteries in this case. But the police were still trying to sort things out. James McKinney testified at the inquest that Philip had left home on Monday around 8 a.m. He took all of his meals out and he assumed he was going to breakfast. His whereabouts the rest of the morning were unknown, but around 1 p.m., a woman living near the church had seen Philip outside. However, he seemed to be leaving, not going in. No one ever saw him returning, and what happened next remains unknown. He was not seen again by anyone until his body was discovered on Tuesday afternoon. Church members were baffled by Philip's suicide. He was always pleasant and easy to be around. They called him studious and a man of keen intellect. 
He spent most of his time at the church. He spoke little of personal or family matters, but was an eager conversationalist, happy, outgoing, loved to engage with his friends on current events, books, music, and popular entertainment. So what had caused him to have, as church members began calling it, a nervous breakdown? It was said that Philip had started to act strange a few months before after returning from a vacation out west somewhere. No one knew where he'd gone. When he returned, though, he started talking about going on a diet. He became almost obsessed with the idea that he was fat. These concerns became worries about his general health, and he began to get moody and distracted. He started losing weight, but too much, too fast. James McKinney convinced him to see a doctor who told Philip there was nothing wrong with him that rest couldn't cure, or at least that's what he told the McKinney family anyway. The doctor visit failed to ease Philip's mind, and his health continued to decline. On the Sunday before his death, Philip conducted services at the church like usual, and some members of the congregation noted that he rushed through things, as though he had something on his mind. He was also sweating profusely, some said, as if he were sick or agitated. Two days later, he was dead. Was Philip sick? Or was he mentally unbalanced? What could have caused him to take his own life? Had something happened out west that unhinged him in some way? When he returned, he claimed he'd had a wonderful time, so what started his sudden decline? And there's another unanswered question. Did Philip Mercer have a secret life? If so, could the stress of it have destroyed his health? Philip never discussed his personal life with anyone, not even the McKinney family, who he'd been living with for five years. After his death, a search of his personal papers revealed that he'd been engaged to be married to a woman named Dorothy Cole who lived in Minneapolis. He had met her while serving as a minister in a church in Minnesota, but not once in the six years he'd been living in Alton had he mentioned her. She'd never visited, and no one in the church or any of Philip's friends had any idea that she existed. They wrote to one another often, and when she was contacted by telegram after his death, Dorothy said that Philip had been depressed for some time. She'd been trying to cheer him up with her letters, but apparently, she said, she'd failed. So what happened to Philip Mercer? There's no way to know. There are many more questions about his life and his death than there are answers. The mysteries of his last months and about his suicide will never be solved. Could this be the reason why Philip has never left the First Unitarian Church? Does he stay because his life ended with so much unresolved? Was he driven by mental illness to take his own life? Could his death, as some have suggested, have been an accident? Or could he simply just stand no more of the life that he knew? Or has his spirit refused to cross over because of his connection to the place? Philip loved the church. He spent all his free time there, reading and writing, was very attached to the place. Is the unfinished business that binds him to this world all the tasks that he never completed in life? Whatever the reason, Philip Mercer lingers at the First Unitarian Church, and his ghost is, I believe, directly responsible for the many strange events that have taken place there over the years. I've witnessed many of these events myself and have come to believe that this is perhaps the most haunted place in Alton. I was first drawn to the church in the late 1990s by a friend who was part of the Unitarian community. After an unsettling experience involving mysteriously locking and unlocking doors and voices that she heard in the empty building, she got interested in the weird goings-on and began collecting other people's encounters with the presence in the church. 
She soon found that strange things had been going on for years, including unexplained sounds, footsteps, inexplicable cold spots, and the smell of a man's cologne. And then, of course, there were the sightings of the ghost. Well, I was intrigued, and I began my own collection of unusual stories gathered from those who'd been part of the church dating back decades. My friend and I both discovered that the doors to the church had a habit of being unlocked when they needed to be, and then mysteriously locked on their own. Two different ministers at the church came forward with matching stories about the presence of a man in the church's auditorium. However, these two ministers had never met. They served at the church during different time periods and had no idea that anyone else had told the exact same story. A couple that was engaged to be married were in the church alone one night and became unnerved by eerie voices that seemed to have no explanation. Even stranger, they told of a strong wind that blew through the building and caused the doors on the side of the church to slam open. The problem was that the doors opened outward, which means that the wind had to have come from inside of the church. They gathered their things and left the wedding planning for another night. Over the years of conducting the Alton Hauntings tours, the First Unitarian Church has been one of the favorite locations for tour groups. On many nights, attendees have claimed odd experiences in advance of the guide recounting any past tales of the place that include cold spots, odd sounds, and eerie sensations. On a number of tours, the doors that lead from the auditorium into the next room have opened or closed on their own. People have felt unexplained gusts of wind blow by them and have seen shadows move across the walls. The tour guests are normally seated in the auditorium pews as the guide presents the history of the church. A set of pocket doors is left open for access to the next room. On many occasions, guests have gasped in shock or have even screamed when they have seen what they believe was a man walking behind the guide in the shadowy room. But whenever we've checked to see who's there, well, you guessed it, the room is always empty. Well, perhaps empty is the wrong word to use. I don't believe that even when no one is inside of the First Unitarian Churches is ever truly empty. I believe there's always a presence there, that of Philip Mercer. Why does he stay? Well, I don't know. We'll never know that. Any more than we'll know the answers to the questions that surround his life and death. He was, and is, a mystery. And I believe he'll remain one for many years, likely decades, to come. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, 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 don't, don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words It's not seven. <laughs> Five. Okay. <clears throat> okay, for this next segment, I'm going to be Cody back. Welcome to the American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, and lore, and all things paranormal. You're listening to episode 13 of season one, which delves into the history and hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck. I'm really not. I'm Troy Taylor, author, historian, crime buff, founder of American Hauntings. Cody had to step out for just a little while. Uh, she was not able to make this last part of the final episode, and we hate not having him here, but uh, to take his place, we had to bring in six of our tour guides from the Alton Hauntings Tours just to replace one Cody Beck, the somewhat annoying sidekick. Uh, we had to bring him in. We had to bring in six people to replace Cody. I'm honored so, to be the somewhat annoying sidekick. And Lisa is sitting tonight. across from me being the somewhat annoying sidekick in Cody's place. And uh, we are talking about uh, the First Unitarian Church, as you know. And uh, we are, are going to delve into that in just a minute with all of our tour guides. We, we brought in some folks from Alton Hauntings. We thought it would be fun for this final episode of the season, and especially when it comes to talking about the church, which I've always considered to be one of the most haunted, if not the most the haunted most location haunted. in town. And so we brought in some backup, so we'd have lots to talk about. In the final part of this of this segment, um, we've got Lynn Adams, Julie Ringering, Bobby Brooks, Sandy Guire, uh, Kaylin Chardon has come in uh, from American Hauntings, and we're all going to be talking about some of our experiences at the church as the final part of uh, our last episode here. Um, it is a lot of fun recording this podcast, and this may be just a little bit chaotic, um, probably no, no more so than when Cody and I are Everyone just the only ones. Everyone will get a little ones. bit of a taste of what this <laughs> yeah. is actually yeah. like, because yeah. we're a hoot. Yeah, well, and, and I should mention, we are recording this at the Best Western Premiere in Alton, which is the kind of local home of American Hauntings when we are in Alton. Woo! Um, and it is the location of the 2018 Haunted America Conference. It's been a location of the conference the last few years. Uh, but we are, are getting ready for, believe it or not, it's next June the 22nd and 23rd of June, but we're getting ready for the conference, and by the time you listen to this, we'll have already have put up the website with the speakers, with all of the events, and all 12 of 12 of wow. our after-hour events this year. All we're hitting different. it hard this year. We have more than we've ever had before, plus we have things that we have never, ever done in any conference before in the past, 
and um, I think that people are going to be excited. Well, I think hey, by the next we time we have to raise the bar. I know, we and have I think that I think that by the time they listen to it, they will have seen the website. Probably. Um, if they have it, go look at it. It's ghostconference.net. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because Cody and I will be doing a well with Lynn and Luke. Oh, I didn't mention Luke because he's not here yet. So we're going to wait till he's he gets here and then tardy. tell him we're finished. Um, but anyway, um, Luke and Lynn are going to be. We're going to be melding strange stuff into the live recording of the podcast so that we have that audience interaction. Lynn, um, are you going to wear your boxer shorts this year? Yeah, we're. I'm oh, going to wear them no. on the inside of my pants. Well, well, oh, that's good. That's good. where that's okay. where we like to keep the box. So y'all so, are safe. Yes, <laughs> they're going to be on the, the inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lynn's wife is also present to censor anything that Lynn may or may not say. <laughs> I can't see she rolling her eyes. It's okay. Uh, probably. I can uh, hear there's a head shake and a yeah. first lip. Going <laughs> well, on. we'll also be doing a live recording at the Dead of Winter Festival, which is coming at the Mineral Springs Hotel on February 10th of 2018 um it is gonna be uh, that's gonna be another fun event and it's free it's a daytime event free. it's free we're doing a, a ghost hunt and a dinner in the evening that is a that are paid after our events but the daytime event is free and it's speakers and all kinds of stuff and part Vendors, of it all right kinds of and part of it we had an art installation from corey that's gonna yes. be really cool from phantasmagoria photography um, I, I want you all sure to know that Troy right. had to close his eyes. I to did to make sure. I know. God, I hope Cody, mm -hmm. Corey doesn't hear that and realize that I can't pronounce the name of his company. Humana, humana. Yeah, I know. Um, you got it. But we're going to be doing a live broadcast from there. And I, I guess my point to all this with the live broadcasts is that while this sounds a little chaotic to have all these people here, it's really no less chaotic than it normally is. Um, when Cody and I do a 45 minute to one hour podcast, it usually takes us about three hours, two bottles of wine, and last time an entire jar of moonshine that got to finish ugly, a everybody. podcast. That yeah, got that really was yeah, that probably wasn't. No one complained. That was my thing. The Halloween episode, no one complained. Even the somewhat annoying well, sidekick guy never complained. Okay, yeah, the so. somewhat annoying sidekick guy came from a. Review. review review yeah which, criticism, which, which yeah is, but it, but it's you know funny what? and it's Guy, awesome and we, we love we think I know, it's hilarious we love we Whatever. love the reviews and that's one of the things that we we really have been um, more excited than we you could possibly imagine with the response we've gotten from this podcast Absolutely. we've only this is our 13th episode only 11 episodes have aired at the time we're recording this and we can't believe how many people are listening how many people are commenting how many people are leaving us reviews and we we always want more too. we always want the more stories that have been generated out of this podcast only inspire us to yeah do even yeah more. we hear from a lot of people who don't maybe don't read the books or haven't been on a tour but want to tell a story which is great or just are big fans of the podcast people we never imagined we're fans of the podcast like and Corey's grandma who, who Cody's, Cody's grandma, and, and I'm going to, because I know she's listening, she's going to be listening to this even though Cody's not here, I'm going to apologize for the language, um, but, you know, it's just not, I know him. you want us to stop it, but Cody and I are incapable of stopping it, so we're just apologizing to you and to Lisa's mom as well, who also listens to the podcast, who doesn't like she the bad language, but, fed up. I know, I know, doesn't like the bad language, but damn it, we sometimes just can't help it. So anyway, let's, hey, let's get to this episode because um, we have been dealing with um, 
you know, the, the First Unitarian Church, and I want to make sure that we tell everybody about some of our personal experiences, because that's always been what the last half of the podcast is about. So I'm going to start because uh, I've got the microphone, frankly, and uh, I, I <laughs> got to tell. Important. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I read, I did the monologue, <laughs> and I talked about some of the history and some of the hauntings, and I talked about, in general, some of the the weird things that have happened during some of the tours in the past. And one of the things that really stuck with me, which I included in the the initial part of this, was that we'd have tours where people would come in night after <clears> night <throat> and have different people coming in. And I'd be standing in the front of the church telling, you know, similar or pretty much the same story each night with a different crowd. And it, But it wasn't just the story that was making an impression on people. It was the fact that I was having people who were completely unrelated to people who had been there on previous nights, didn't talk to anybody, didn't know what I was going to say, and then would talk about seeing me standing there in front of those pocket doors that go into the, the next room, the worker room, as they call it, of the church, and would say they had seen people go by, or seen shadows go by, or seen figures go by, thinking that there were other staff members or other people that were there who were in the next room. There wasn't anybody, that was it, that we were the only people there. And that would happen night after night after night. And that was, that was impressive, but as far as those kind of figures go, I think probably the one night that really stuck with me was in, I believe, 2003. We had a, an author named Leslie Rule who had come to do, I had the bookstore down the street still back in the, and she had come and done like a kind of a weekend thing with us. And there's a whole other story with her and the Lint Mansion, which hopefully we'll get to in the next season. But Leslie was always a good sport about this kind of stuff. And she came in, she did a reading from what was then her latest book. And then we did a tour of Alton. And uh, the last stop on the tour was just like it is now. Uh, the, the First Unitarian Church and a big group of us, we had a big group that night and we'd come into the room we, we'd done all of this stuff in the auditorium and then we went on into the, the worker room and we were just sort of gathering in the room everybody was kind of spreading out uh, getting ready to listen to the rest of the stories when one section of the, the tour group got really excited, really worked up. I mean, like to the point where people were trying to get away from one of the pocket doors that went into the auditorium. There were two big pocket doors. One we had come through and one that was closed. And there was a light in the auditorium and you could see it reflecting against the stained glass in this pocket door. And this group had all started to kind of panic and, and go away from the door. And when we looked over to see what was going on, we saw someone standing like a, a profile, a dark profile of a shadow figure standing right on the other side of that door. And it had freaked everybody out because he was kind of there one second and it hadn't been there a moment before. Now, I didn't assume it was a ghost. Len was with me and our friend Steve was with me and I'm sure some, some of the others were with us too, but our friend Steve was with us too. And Steve is uh, likes to come along on a lot of the tours. He takes photographs. And things and, and just sort of is always sort of a backup. He's been doing it since the tour started. I mean, at the very beginning when Sonny and I were doing the trolley tour, Steve was there. So I just automatically assumed it was Steve taking pictures, you know, and people had seen him and gotten scared. And so I looked over at Len, who was in the doorway to the auditorium that we had come out, the door we'd come out of, and I said, uh, Len, where's Steve? 
and he, I just, he said, I don't know, let me look. And so he, I don't think Lynn even knew what was going on at the time with this group because he was at an angle where he couldn't see it. So Lynn stepped back into the auditorium and I said, is he in there? And Lynn looked in the auditorium and he said, no, there's nobody in here. And then at the same time that Lynn said that, I heard, I'm right here. And Steve raises up his hand. He's on the other side of the room from where we are. Nobody was in the auditorium, but like 25 people had seen a figure walk up to the glass. And it was at that point that I realized, you know what? I think Reverend Mercer really is here. I mean, it wasn't just the shadows. It was something that I saw with my own eyes. And I know that all of the guides have had experiences with this and have seen things. And I'm going to, who's going first, Sandy or Bobby? I think Bobby and Sandy are going maybe at the same time. Story. Okay, well, Sandy I'm going to give, I'm gonna give later, the microphone to Bobby, I'm and then you're going to give yours to Sandy. So I'm going to let them get started. Um, Bobby Brooks has been doing how long? A few years? Three years? Three? Four years? Four, four, four years. Four. Been doing tours, has yeah, been touring, doing tours with us for four years. Sandy, longer than that. Yeah, how yeah, many? I don't know. Julie started at the same time, like six. No, I've been doing eight. Yeah, eight? so about okay. eight years well, ago, no. started doing the Alton Hauntings tours with us. Time flies when you're having fun. Exactly. Exactly. And so we have been doing, they've been doing tours for the last, you know, now, four and eight years together. And um, so I want to, yeah, I want to, uh, I'm going to pass things over to Bobby now. Hi, Bobby. Hi. Okay, before I start. Well, um, our story happened on the night I was shadowing, the first time I was ever in the church. And um, me and Sandy had an experience where we saw something at the exact same time. We were shadowing Luke's tour. Mm -hmm. And we all shadow the tours before we start in the fall leading our own tours. We shadow the other tour guides tour. That way we, you know, kind of get a feel for the stories and learn everybody else's experiences. And me and Cindy were sitting in the back of the church and we were watching the pocket door to the right, not the one to the left that was open. This pocket door was shut. And throughout the same one where we'd seen the figure. Yeah, absolutely. Same door. Yeah. Absolutely. And to back up for just a second, when we first walked in and got everybody seated, my attention was drawn to that right pocket door. We normally never open it up. And it caught my attention because it was about two inches open. Right. And a couple of weeks before I'd done a private tour and we had tried to open the door, it was completely shut and we couldn't budge it. So it caught my attention in that, oh, they must have fixed the door. Right, and you, mm -hmm. and it, like she said, it was two, open about two inches. Mm -hmm. And we were listening to Luke and I, we were both drawn over there. And as she was talking, that door started to slowly open. Now coming from a paranormal investigating background, I'm assuming that there was a breeze coming through and that mm -hmm. door was barely hanging there. And you know, it was kind of just pushing it open. And I'm tapping Sandy and I'm pointing over there trying to be quiet. We're watching that door open about four inches. Yeah, because you even said, do you see that? You right. didn't say the pocket door. You right. said, do you I'm, see I'm that? I'm like, pointing over there the yeah, whole time. that pocket door is so, opening. And, and like I said, I had never been into the church. I don't really know what's going on in the church. Being from Alton, I know that there's something in that church. I know that it's haunted. I've read Troy's book. I knew, you know, but I never had felt that energy like that before. I'd never been on the tour, but I the energy was completely different and I was so excited. So, you know, being like, 
Billy Badass, you know, <laughs> gets everybody into the worker room, and I walk up there like I'm going to tap this door, you know, and it's just going <laughs> to slide open. I hit, and it didn't budge at all, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, well, even before that, though, because remember, Steve was back there with us. Right. We're watching this. Steve was taking photos. He didn't hear our conversation, and he even walks up and goes, hey, do you see that pocket door opening? And to backtrack a little bit, before we went up to test the door, you and I were kind of sitting there saying, there's got to be somebody back there messing with it. Right. And Luke, who's doing the tour, he's completely clueless of all of this. For some reason, he stepped back in that worker room to point something else out and was looking in that direction. So had there been somebody, he would have gone, hey, what are you doing? Right. And so he comes back and we're like, wow, there must not be anybody back there. And, and then he, for several minutes. He didn't know anything that yeah. was going on until we pointed it out to him afterwards. Yeah, and as we're sitting there continuing, the door has stopped <laughs> moving and it's open a good probably six or eight inches. Feel Luke is kind of clueless. It's always <laughs> yeah. He so, has his moments. He's yeah. an amazing storyteller. Yes, he is. <laughs> he is a good storyteller. Yeah. But yeah, and I just wanted to listen remember to this the shadow figure <laughs> too. He's not here yet. <laughs> yeah, the doors open a good six eight inches, and at one point I'm like, "Do you guys see that shadow figure?" And there was a shadow figure looking out at us. That, mm. that, was, that was just crazy. It yeah. was a crazy night because after all of that, you know, I walked up and my phone. I have iTunes on my phone, and my phone has all of my musical library on it. And yes, I have show tunes on there. <laughs> Woo! I have Jet a hand. lot of show Jet tunes. Hands. And I, I flip my phone Jet over Jet to vibrate, right? So it's it's off, the sound is off. And I get over past the piano, and all of a sudden, my phone starts playing Everything's Coming Up Roses from Gypsy. <laughs> and I'm trying to like turn it off, and then I walk over and Sandy's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, you need to leave. You just need to go. And I'm like, I'm finally getting paid for something that I like to do and it doesn't like me. She's like, You're, you just need to go. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it this more is horrible. Of, you just need to you step back because you've got so much going bad. on. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. And if right. Sandy tells you you need to leave, right. you need to leave. Yeah. Yeah. She knows. Now granted, the very first tour that I did on my own, not with you and Troy with me, I had, but went all by myself. I had protection stones in my bra, in my pocket, and yeah. everything. I mean, I was right, like on it. Yeah. But I haven't really had. I mean, yeah, it's it's a different atmosphere in that church. I mean, you walk in, and you have to keep your guard up, and you have to let everybody know that walking in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not, you know, just some game. It's not romper room. Something happened here, and there is an energy in yeah. here. But also, we just walked up a, a huge hill, too, you know? Yeah. We're all kind of tired. But, you know, it's there's a lot of energy, and it's not like a TV show. You and I'm just, just keep your eyes open. still so blown away when we tested out that door. You know, we watched it open up on its own, and three of us trying at the same not, time could not couldn't it. open it anymore, couldn't, couldn't close it. it. So it was just, as you said, a weird, weird energy that night. And, you know, Luke tells that story. I, I mean, I'm honored, because yeah. I tell a lot of Luke stories yeah. on the tour. He tells that story yes, on his yeah. tour too, and I'm like, I tell it every time. Cool. Because yeah, he has favorite. no original material. So that oh. would be awesome. Oh. 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 Slow clap. Get here well, that's this time. I was going to say, see, he doesn't get here all the time. That's what happens. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he just showed up. Okay, Luke Nellaborski is the best tour guide. Yes. 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 He's no really awesome, and 
no matter what you've heard in the earlier parts of this podcast, <laughs> Lucas just is my favorite tour guide, <laughs> and uh, <coughs> actually has is the second oldest. Well, not second oldest, but has been with me second longest for the Alton tours. Uh, Len would be first, Luke would be second. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean that by he's the oldest. Um, I just meant he has been with us the longest, second longest. So, all right. Well, I'm going to turn the mic over to Julie Ringering, who has been eight years then, right? So yes. same as Sandy, she has been doing mostly our bus tours yes. for the last eight years. Uh, some walking tours, but bus tours, and she has, like the rest of us, had a lot of experience with the church. So I'm going to let Julie tell some of her stories. Yeah, I'm going to tell um, a couple stories, but my experiences have been a little different because I'm also a, a medium. So then I pick up on other energies that are not necessarily um, experienced by everybody else. Um, one that I did, Troy was actually leading a tour in August. And it was uh, really hot in the church, and a really cold breeze came behind me. I was sitting next to Crazy Steve, and I looked at him. We just got started, and I said, "I've got to go home. I don't feel well." And I got home, and my husband wanted to know what was wrong with my neck, and I said, "I, I don't know what's wrong with my neck." And we we looked, and I had rope burn around my mm -hmm. neck inside the church. For and for those of you who don't know about Reverend Mercer, he was found hanging in the church. So it was just kind of very interesting that that's the kind of injury that I suffered was rope burn when he actually hang, was hanging himself. Um, we had, or was hung. We had another person that um, we were doing an overnight and he was trying to get the minister. He was provoking, oh. mm. uh, doing a lot of provoking. And no Never matter how much I, I We do not encourage that. That's what I kept telling him to stop. It was during a, an overnight. I kept saying, you need to stop, you need to stop. Well, Watches too stop. much TV. He did watch mm -hmm. too much TV. And then the next morning, I had just this massive bruise on my arm. I remember that. I think I remember that, too. Yeah, yeah I remember the picture. Like bigger than, bigger than my, wider than my arm. You know, it was a huge bruise, and he was not happy. And then another one in the basement. I had two other experiences in the basement. We've had plenty. I mean, we could all go on, I'm sure, all night long. Mm -hmm. But I had one where we were going to go back into the very back of the church, which used to be the um, uh, original foundation of the first high school. I don't know if you know right, that or not. Right. And we were in the basement, and I was trying to shove that door open, and it gave a little bit but it wasn't like it was locked, it was just like it was blocked instead of locked. And as I'm trying to push it open, there was a growl, and I had several, um, youth a youth group and their youth, a youth pastor and youth group with me. And I said, well, we're gonna have to pass on this, I can't get the door open, and then the minister being kind of silly, said, oh, I'll get it open, and he put his hands on there and said, in the name of Jesus, open, and we heard, this big, gigantic, really guttural growl, and he grabs all the kids and just starts <laughs> running out the door of the basement. Probably a good idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it left me standing there, which wasn't pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, it, you know, we there's a an eight-foot shadow creature that runs around there, and there's a nun and a minister, and just all kinds of stuff. All right. 
Well, I'm gonna. Um, Very cool. We're gonna pass it back to Sandy, who weighed in on some of uh, Bobby's stories. So, um, let me pass it back to Sandy. The microphone back to Sandy. And uh, Sandy Guire, uh, again, as she mentioned earlier, has been doing tours with Alton Hauntings for the last eight years. So um, she, like anybody who spends any inordinate amount of time in the church, has had their experiences there. So I'll, I'll just kind of turn it over to Sandy. Sure. Um, so I was doing a tour. It was actually Friday the 13th. And Woo! I don't think the date really had anything to do with it, but it was one of those Probably just not. weird nights all over town anyway. Um, and I didn't really have anything dramatic happen on my tour that night in the church, but I happen to have a good buddy of mine, Gary, who mm -hmm. a bunch of you guys know, and his, at that time, 20-year-old son on the tour. They were kind of my caboose. I thought you were going to say Gary's 20-year-old girlfriend. But uh, no, because no. Gary's wife, Cindy, would be really <laughs> She would be <laughs> happy. Yeah, no girlfriends. Cindy, Gary loves you. Yeah, this is all on recorded. No girlfriend, just so we're clear. So... Um, but yeah, so they were tagging along and helping me out on the tour. And once I finished the church part and um, all of the regular paying customers and guests had left, I asked Gary and Alex, hey, do you guys want to hang out in the scary church a little longer and see if anything happens? And of course the answer was yes. So we did. And after a while we decided, well, let's go down in the basement. Let's see what's going down, going on down in that original foundation. We spent a little time down there. Not much happened, and I'm like, you know, it's getting a little late. Maybe we should start wrapping this up. And as we were coming out of the old basement, I could hear down by the classrooms a man and woman talking. And it was very clear, and it was clear enough that I thought, oh, shoot, somebody's here from the church. I really hope I haven't gotten our group in trouble for being here so late and down here in the basement like this. So I told Gary and Alex to hang back. I'm going to go see who's down there and try to smooth things over. And I kind of round the corner and get ready to walk down the hallway when it occurs to me that the voices have stopped and except for that emergency sign light, it's pitch black. Like, uh, Gary, Alex, come on, let's go upstairs now. And so we started heading upstairs and the entire time, it just kind of felt like somebody was following us, that somebody's just kind of on our heels down the hallway, on our heels coming up the stairs. And we move on into the sanctuary and we're sitting in the first two pews, looking through that main pocket door that we have open during the tours, looking into the worker room. Um, and I always say on the tours, you know, I'm about as psychic as this church pew or as psychic as this table. I have like no ability. But as we're sitting there in the dark, I'm starting to feel really strange. I'm feeling burning hot and freezing cold at the same time. And I'm starting to get really dizzy, but I knew I wasn't actually going to pass out. And as this is happening, my friend's son Alex is looking into the worker room and he starts to say, hey, that story you were telling earlier with the minister and the jacket and the tie, and as his voice trails off, I say, oh shucks, not really the word I used, um, I see what you're talking about. And against the far wall, you could see the head, shoulders, and basically upper torso of a man kind of leaning out and looking at us. And I mean, it was clear enough, you could see the buttons on the shirt. I haven't heard this story. No, me yeah. either. This and you didn't hear it, but I just felt it was like, why haven't you <laughs> left yet? And then this torso pulled itself back. And we're all kind of sitting there kind of, uh, uh, what, what just happened? And I'm continuing to feel really strange. And a moment or two later, same thing, this torso leans out a second time. And again, you don't hear it, but you feel like, haven't you left yet? 
and we always say none of us have really felt threatened in the church but there's times that you know when it's time to call it a night and leave and so I started to say hey guys you know maybe we should wrap it up and before I could finish the sentence, I believe Gary was out of the church in his car, <laughs> walked in the car, leaving his son Alex. Thank you, and I there. Yeah, thanks, Gary, for the support. Love you. Um, we're very conscientious about leaving the church the way we found it, closing doors and turning lights out, which means I have to get up and close the pocket door and get closer to whatever this is we're seeing. I kind of look at Alex. He's like, I'm not going to leave you behind. I'll stick around. <laughs> Part of me really wanted to like grab him around the neck just to make sure, but he did a stand-up job. We got the door shut and we got out of there, but that's definitely one of those things I will never forget and never, see, never forget seeing that figure and how yeah. distinct it was. Well, I'm going to turn things over to Luke Nalaborski, who has been doing 11 years, you said. Yep, 11, uh, years. 11 years. as a guide at Elton Hauntings, um, which means that, well, you've been through like three name changes for the tour yes. at this point. Um, yeah. But I think this is our last one. I don't think we're going to change it again. This I one's going to leave it. We've had it. this one for oh, quite a few years yeah. now. So I think we're going to stick with this one. But um, we, uh, Luke came on very early on, and, and I always love to tell the story that I met Luke because he stopped by the bookstore one day and um, bought a copy of Haunted Alton and uh, was really angry when he got out to the car and um, said to his wife, Heather, uh, who is like, you know, makes up for all of your faults um, yeah, right. <laughs> and said to Heather um, what the hell why did this guy tear why did this guy ruin my book why did he write in my book and Heather said God because that's the guy who wrote it so <laughs> that's always one of my first memories of Luke uh, but then you know we uh, we we started doing stuff pretty early on yeah we went on Be several adventures yeah there. we did um, I invited Luke to come and do a TV show at the church which is why this is relevant uh, we did a um, we did one of the very first ghost hunting shows of the modern era, uh, America's Ghost Hunters, before anything mm -hmm. else existed, and we did um, I, people from all around the country. We did different types of ghost hunting, and we ended up at Eastern State Penitentiary. But one of the things they they wanted to have me present ghost hunting from a historical aspect, and I said, well, you know, what would be a great location would be the the First Unitarian Church, and some of the history there and some of the things we've tied into the present day and they wanted us to crawl underneath the foundation of the church to see where the underground railroad station where the room was and from the original foundation and uh, poor Luke showed up in like really nice clothes to be on TV and then they handed him a hazmat suit and said here we're gonna crawl through like six feet of dirt um, so that was I think Luke's first and last television appearance yeah. um, he said I'd never again I think <laughs> that was probably the point of that but anyway anyway I'm gonna turn it over to Luke and let him talk about some of his personal experiences at the church so thanks for the intro is my segment over all the time in the world so I'm sure but hurry yeah so I have a okay. somewhat annoying sidekick so oh, we, we get to talk as long as we want. I understand. So that's the way it works. Bill here. just looked at me, but you meant Cody. I know. Oh, Cody. Oh, oh. Well, you so. took his place. I know, the, but I they know. all look. <laughs> we love you, Lisa. Thank you. So for uh, my stories, I was kind of debating which ones to tell, and, and I, much like you know the other tour guides here, we we've all had a heavy dose of experiences. So uh, I'll tell two of my favorites, and uh, you know if we have time at the end, maybe 
Tell a few more, but no, we um, won't. Yeah, my my two favorite Star Trek. <laughs> not, well, not if your intros are going to be that long. Uh, <laughs> oh. My two favorite stories. Uh, one of them involved uh, during my extended tours. We take people down into the basement of the church, which is uh, it's a little creepy, and it, it's neat because you walk through the newer part of the basement, and people are like, "Oh, is this it? It's not that exciting." And then you go through a couple doorways, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Okay, this is this is it." Because yeah. I mean, it's just really creepy down there. And uh, I was had a group down there. We were finished up, and we were leaving the basement, coming down that newer hallway, and we were going to go out the side door so we didn't track dirt up in the upstairs part. And at this point, I was trailing everybody, and I remembered that I had left my flashlight upstairs. So I kind of made an announcement of, you know, oh, man, I left my flashlight upstairs, more to hopefully get people to volunteer to go up with me to get it. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to go through it myself. So I two guys in front of me, they're like, oh, we'll go up with you. So we're going upstairs. And one of the guys was in the lead, and he asked me where it was, and I said, should be sitting on the steps of the altar. So he kind of took off a little ahead of us to go retrieve it. Uh, me and the other guy were kind of following behind, and that guy yelled back, Luke, it's not here. And I'm like, oh, great. He said, well, you think somebody stole it? Well, kind of. You know, sometimes things disappear, they'll reappear later. Um, so I said, let's just look around. Maybe somebody picked it up and moved it. So that guy was looking around the sanctuary trying to find it. There was another guy who was looking... Um, on the north end of the back room and then I was looking on the south end of the back room and at one point the guy in the north end kind of shouts out what the blank was that and I'm like well what'd you see and he said there's this hallway that stretches from one side of the kitchen and kind of goes past some bathrooms and the stairway door leads to the basement and then comes out into another hallway where the foyer is and uh, he's like what the heck is that and I said what'd you see and he said I saw a dark shadow dart down that hallway so I immediately shot through the four area thinking whatever the shadow was, I'm going to intercept it. And as soon as I turned the corner... That seems go, like a great I, I, doesn't, I know, but you know, <laughs> yeah. at the In time... In the heat of the moment, right, yeah. It's, kind of it's, yeah. it's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> right, you know? right. So, yeah. Where should you say it and then you do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I turn the corner and right as I turn the corner, I take two steps and I trip over my flashlight. <laughs> which was literally standing up on its end right in front of the stairway door that leads to the basement. So no way you could have missed it. No way we yeah. could have missed it. When you had three guys walking up the stairs, that's six feet. One of us would have seen it or one of us would have kicked it over. Right. And it's almost like that shadow that was actually coming down the hallway put it there Left for it us there. to find. Yeah. So, you know, although sometimes they can be terrifying, other times they can be helpful. Um, I know we all agree that there's several spirits there. So, you know, sometimes we get the good ones, sometimes you get the bad ones. Um, my other favorite story involved a private tour I was doing for some coworkers, and we weren't going into the basement that night, so whenever we finished in the back room where Reverend Mercer hanged himself, um, I told everybody, hey, if you guys want to take some pictures back here, take them in the sanctuary, that's fine, but nobody go past the foyer doors or the kitchen doors. I didn't want anybody wandering around and getting yeah. lost or damaging anything. And I said, once you guys are done taking photos, just meet up towards the back of the sanctuary and we'll all leave together. So after about five or ten minutes, we were all kind of filtering up towards the front so we all left and I noticed this young lady was sitting on the steps all by herself and I knew she was on the tour she didn't know who she was there with so I had asked her I said who are you here with and she said Ryan and I said well where's he at and she said I don't know so I said well call his cell phone and find out where he's at so she calls his cell phone and I hear her say what are you doing down there which meant that Ryan had went down into the basement by himself which is something none of us would really ever do so I said well tell him to come upstairs and we'll meet him in the back room so she tells him, and I grab two volunteers to come in with me, and we go through the sanctuary into the back room, and we're standing there, kind of looking down through the foyer doors towards the hallway where he'd be coming from. And 
stand there for a couple minutes and you hear somebody walking up the steps, you hear the basement door open, and then you hear more steps, and then you see him turn the corner uh, walking towards us. And I said to him, I said, Ryan, what were you doing? And he said, oh, I just wanted to see what the basement looked like. So I said, well, come on, it's time to go. So he's walking towards us, and then all of a sudden you see this dark shadow step out of the hallway. And it wasn't Ryan's shadow because he had already taken several steps towards us, and he's moving towards us, but the shadow is actually pacing back and forth, left to right. And the way that I tell this story on the tour is I, first off, I was, you know, my name's Luke and I was born in 1977, so I had no choice but to be a Star Wars fan. <laughs> so, you know, all the times I heard it, use the force and I'm your father and all that stuff growing up. So to put this into Star Wars terms and to explain what this looked like, if you remember episode one, when Darth Maul is watching for <laughs> no Qui-Gon. Hold on. No. Okay. You know what? All right. <laughs> it's my story. So <laughs> if you had... <laughs> In my words, if you had a, so when Darth Maul is waiting for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to come through the force field and he's pacing back and forth, just staring at them, waiting to kill them. That's what the shadow was like to me. Very sinister, like pacing back and forth. Not that it was going to kill Ryan, although the story would be much better. It was more of a thing where <laughs> Ryan wasn't supposed to be in the basement and the shadow had followed him up to make sure he was leaving. So, um, shadow's pacing back and forth. At this point I said, Ryan, it's time to go. Come on. So Ryan comes running past us. He knows something's wrong. One of my volunteers took off running. Um, the other one tried to, and I horse collared him, yanked him back. I said, do you see that? And he said, the shadow. And I said, yeah. And I said, let's go check it out. And that's one of the things that we always do. When we see things, we never say what we're seeing. We just say, do you see that? Or do you, do you see this? Or what are you seeing to see if they're seeing exactly what we are? So I said, let's go check it out. And, and this is actually a, a scientific fact, I believe. And Julie here is a nurse, and she will vouch for this as well. Um, that when somebody is scared enough and they don't want to do something, you can actually hear their butt pucker. And <laughs> it's a popping noise. It's almost like um, like it's a duck whistle. It's like yeah, a, well, I mean, it was so quiet. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's, it's like scientific. a like a suction and then a pop. A pop yeah. And then um, champagne. Yes. Yes, and it's like you know <laughs> to paint the picture a little bit more. Picture somebody taking a selfie and doing the duck face, and that's how the oh, butt wow. look. That's what yeah. it's like. And oh, I did not need that. Exactly. No, that, that is stuck in my brain she, forever. She's she got it. <laughs> I'm going to so, Google this yeah. guy. Oh, no. So anyway. I don't think that's what you're going to like what you do. No, probably you not. That. It's probably so, his so picture right next to you. computer that you search that on. Yeah. Don't go to your local <laughs> library and search it. No. It will be arrested. So anyway, go ahead. So yeah, no, you're fine. So to continue, so whenever you make that suggestion, obviously somebody doesn't want to do that and you hear this noise and he looked at me and he's like are you serious and well yeah you know let's let's go check it out and so we walked back and as soon as we walked through the foyer we had a little bit further to go before we got to the hallway where the shadow was but it was freezing cold in that spot where the shadow was and, and the, you could literally step into it you could step out of it and that was a drastic change and it hovered around for about six to eight seconds and then it all just went away so at that point, I, I told Travis, who was the guy who went back there with me, I said, you know, I've never felt threatened in the church, but you know when it's time to leave. And, you know, that, that this is one of those times. So with that, we hurried pretty quickly out of the building. Uh, but then we got outside, and then I hit the brakes because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I left the pocket door open. And you always leave the buildings the way you found them. They always keep that door closed. So I'm like, I have to go back inside to close this door. So I kind of made an announcement again. Hey, does anybody want to go back in with me yeah. to close this door? But Everybody who was waiting outside saw the first two guys running out. <laughs> and Travis, of course, he was still trying to fix things. You know, within <laughs> a, so he wasn't coming in with me. And so I had to go in by myself. And in order to fix or close the pocket door, your back is to that hallway. And I had pushed the door too far into the frame. So I couldn't 
get my fingers around the door, close or close the door. The whole time I knew right behind me, there's gonna be the shadow person. And then whenever I finally got the door closed, I don't remember my feet touching the floor. The whole ride, <laughs> so. That's my other story. Okay, well, I want to, uh, last but, well, least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say not least, but we'll just say least. Um, actually, right. no, seriously. I, I want to turn things over, and I save Lynn for last, because um, of all of us, Lynn has probably done more tours. I think he may have done more tours than I have at this point. Um, over all of the years. Lynn started doing tours with me back in 2004. So it's been 13 years, I guess, this fall that you've been doing tours with me in Alton. Um, and we have done a lot of tours over the years and have had a lot of adventures and experiences with not only other places, but with the church as well. So uh, I wanted to have Lynn tell a couple of his stories here at the end. Uh, so I'm going to turn things over to him so all right and I swear some of these are true <laughs> uh, doing the doing all the tours it it just seems to wind up that the church is the natural place to, to finish because like Troy said it is I think it is the most haunted area yeah, in the I town have to agree with you. and also it's not one of my favorites <laughs> because I always seem to uh, experience uh, things not always pleasant there. Uh, we had a problem uh, a couple years ago with a gentleman. He was a new custodian at the church, and I was taking people or attempting to take people down into the foundation of the church, uh, the last part of being in the church, and we started to get locked out because the guy didn't know we were coming in, and he would lock up everything for the night and I only had a key to get into the church. So it got to where I would have people come in and as they were sitting down, I would decided I would go downstairs and make sure that the door was unlocked. One night I went down to check on the door and I didn't like being by myself in that church anyway, in any part of the church, but I had to go down there. So I went down to check on that last door that took us into the foundation that uh, Julie talked about earlier. Well, I opened the door this one time and I look in and I saw somebody run through the room. I mean, flesh and blood looking run through the room. Being the knucklehead I am, I went in after him. Hey, what are you doing? I went up the, a couple little stairs and I went across the dirt floor and I got to the back wall and that's when I had my Scooby-Doo moment because I looked around, there was nobody there. And you can edit this out because the words came out, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Boom. Flashlight went out. Yeah, all Cody's the lights. grandma just got upset again. I don't yeah. care. I don't care. <laughs> the flashlight went out. All the lights down there went out. And as the other guys can attest, when the lights go out, you can't cannot see your hand in front of your face. So I somehow made it out of that room only because I had been there before. I kind of knew where I was, fell down a couple steps. The entire hallway that I walked uh, down to get to that door, all those lights were out. The exit lights, everything. I finally made it upstairs and our other Julie, Julie Warren, was my caboose that night helping uh, corral the people. She yelled, who the hell were you yelling at down there? I said, anybody that would effing listen. <laughs> and we did the tour upstairs, and then I went to take the people downstairs, and I said, I don't know how this is going to work because there's no lights. Well, every light was on when we got down there. Everything was perfect. 
So I, I finished the tour and then got the heck out of there with everybody else. This one, I, lo I love this story, even though it scares me at the end. There was a little girl that came on the tour and she was about 10, 11 years old, if she was that old. This coming on the tour was her birthday present from her parents. And she was so her. excited. <laughs> uh, yeah. If Troy would have been there, he would have kicked her down the steps. But anyway, through the whole tour, she was just a little chatty Kathy, if you remember that doll. She was just having the time of her life. And so, you know, I would always make sure that she got to be in the front of the line and seeing all the things along the way. When we got to the church, this little girl suddenly changed. She was sitting right in the middle of the pews with her parents, but she was starting to bawl ball up because she was just covering up she appeared to be either extremely cold or scared to death so when we went back into the worker room to show where the minister was hung and I'm telling the story uh, people were kind of scattered around and we had some lights coming in from the the uh, windows that had no blinds on them that were behind us and this little girl I just happened to turn and look at her before I started my story and she was so scared that she opened her mouth and lost everything she had eaten for the last four oh, days. No. <laughs> right in the middle of the worker room. Well, as much as I wanted to ignore that, I guess I was kind of <laughs> in charge. So I had to do something about that. I forget who the caboose was helping me that night. But we kind of moved everybody out and went downstairs and then went out the side door. And the people could go back. We still had the bookstore. Troy still had the bookstore back then. Well, I could not ignore what was in the back of the worker room as much as I wanted to. So I went back in. I didn't turn on any lights because I had enough. These are the the, the high points of being a guide. Oh, yeah. Yes. Cleaning up puke. Yeah. yeah, so I went back and I had enough light coming in from the windows without the, the drapes or blinds on them. So I had a uh, walking stick and my backpack and I set them off to the side and I knew where the janitor's closet was. I got in there and I got some stuff and I cleaned it up as best I could and threw everything away and then cleaned myself up and then went back and my walking stick had disappeared. I was the only one in the church. It was gone. My backpack had been open and everything in it was strewn all across the floor. Now I'm crawling around on my hands and knees. Glad I had picked up the puke earlier. I'm crawling around just grabbing everything I could to stuff into this backpack. I swear I had half the church's stuff too. I gave it all back eventually, but uh, I, I, I got out of there as fast as I could. And I got a call uh, from the lady who was the secretary. They found the walking stick two weeks later in a part of the church I had never been. So they knew I was going to be doing a tour. They said, we'll leave it just inside the sanctuary. I said, no, you won't. You'll leave it outside. I'll take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we should, uh, we should probably wrap this up. This is probably gone. But I think fitting for the last episode of, of the, the Alton part of the, of the, of the podcast uh, that we went a little long on this one. But that's okay. Um, so I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to uh, thank all of you who have uh, sent us emails, who have posted reviews. If you haven't given us a review, take just like two minutes. Just give us, just post a review. Makes it easier for people to find stuff. Um, Unless you don't like it, then find well, something better to do. You're probably really busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably, you're super busy and don't want to leave us a, a review. But if you do like the podcast, please, please do get on iTunes, leave us a review. 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, so I want to thank uh, all of the guides who came in tonight and sat in with us. Um, I, I wish Cody had been here for this. Um, he couldn't be here for the end of the show, but I want to thank Ricky for sitting in his brother, Cody's hey, brother, to, uh, to make sure that I didn't break anything, let's be honest, um, because I can't be trusted with the equipment, um, and that is the truth. Um, so, and thanks to the Best Western Premier for having us in. And Luke, I want to give you a chance Plug your store. I oh. don't. I know Luke Tell has us. a great store, and he just moved to Belleville. But give us the address and yeah. stuff for anybody. I think a lot of our listeners that are into what Definitely. you have to offer. I, I they so want to hear. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I opened up a vintage toy store. So vintage to me is seventies and eighties toys, because I know sometimes I get people come in looking for vintage and they think thirties and forties vintage. Seventies <laughs> and eighties vintage toys. So Star Wars, E Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, all that good stuff. And then I also carry a ton of horror-related toys. H-O-R-R-O-R uh, -R 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 -R. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> for <laughs> The other kind, there's other stories Got for excited that. for a minute. Um, <laughs> so I yeah, carry a lot of horror related toys. So um, And uh, Living Dead Dolls, like tons of pop figures. Probably got about 350 different pop figures you know, on display at any time. And uh, carry ghost books by myself. And I have Lens books. I've got some of Troy's books as well. But we're located in Belleville, Illinois at 125 East Main Street, which is on the same block as the Lincoln Theater. And uh, we just opened up uh, yesterday, actually, at the new location. So, um, cool store. So come check it out. Yeah. Hey, absolutely. Luke, is there anywhere so. that people can find you on Facebook, or if they have like something that they're looking for, where can they contact you at? Yeah, you can uh, through Facebook. My page is I had that toy. It's all one word. The store. I don't even know if I said what the store's name is. <laughs> I don't think you did. Yeah, on the spot. You're okay. My store's called I had that, and uh, which a lot of people say when they come in, they look point something out. Oh, I had that. So it works out good. Uh, I'm located inside a store called Collector's Corner, which is a sports memorabilia store. So you'll see their sign out front, but I'm in there. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook, I Had That Toy, or you can go to my website, which is heyihadthattoy.net. Cool. Okay, awesome. Right, cool Thank deal. you. All right, well, we're going to wrap this up. So I'm going to do what Cody normally does at the end of every episode. So I'm going to read mess it his. Up. I know. I'm going to read his, uh, his little closer. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to combine historic record, folklore, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to tell you a little bit more about America's most haunted places, including in the town of Alton, Illinois. Alton Huntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of my books as well as information about upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find Cody on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find me at Instagram at TroyTaylorGram or on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author page or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by me, Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by Cody Back. Some of the music in this episode was, uh-oh, shit. Uh, sorry, and Cody Beck and his brother Ricky. I apologize. Some of this music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockus at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois, and you can find Charlie at LighthouseSounds.com. Thanks for listening. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun 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 d